starting with verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, and their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the, crea- uh, the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being, moral, uh, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning. Uh, right here, I'll stop for you. At this, some point, Paul was probably thinking, Holy Spirit, should I stop? Keep writing, Paul. Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Quite a list, like I said, you know, Paul has to be thinking, you know, I, I, I clearly made the point by now, but let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would speak to us by your Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, uh, for your Word. We thank you for your presence here tonight in our hearts and in this place, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes tonight, uh, our time in God's Word, I've titled The Depravity of Man. Uh, the depravity of man. And four things that I have kind of just kind of put this in a list that's the way I always teach. Uh, I'm going to spend very little time on the first bullet point, uh, but if you're taking notes, we'll look at four things. Uh, the first is just really tying back to what we covered last week. The first is unwilling unwilling, the second, unthankful, unwilling, unthankful, the third, unmindful, unmindful, and the last, unrestrained, unwilling, unthankful, unmindful, and unrestrained. 
If you're with us last week, you know that God has clearly revealed himself to mankind. He's given light to every man. Uh, His creation alone speaks for itself, uh, as is well said. Uh, You know there had to be a a painter whenever you see a painting, right? You know there had to be a builder when you see a building. Uh, And then God has given a conscience to every man. People know they're violating. From the time they were a child, you know, even when they go to steal something, they kind of look around both ways. Anyone watching uh, before I take this, uh, you know. So God's given the conscience. He's given creation. He's given the wrath that is clearly visible uh, on the rest of the world, uh, on all of the world, uh, even in our own lives. The uh, destructive nature of sin is evident in every single person. So the evidence of God is all around. Verse 21 tells us, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him. The previous verse in in verse 20 uh, tells us that His invisible attributes are clearly seen. But beyond that, the 21st verse says, although they knew God, actually have some concept. I know this is hard for people to believe because, you know, we, we, we tend to have people tell us, oh, I didn't believe in God. Uh, but God's t- deep down in the recesses of every person, uh, what, they, what they choose to do, they, they resist the evidence that God has also already given. In verse 25, they exchange the truth for a lie. Again, we covered these verses last week, but I just wanted to touch briefly as we kind of move forward in the, in the remaining part of this chapter, bridging the gap with what we already looked at. Uh, it comes down to uh, unwilling. It's not that people don't receive conviction and the conscience. I know what I'm doing is wrong. It's not that they can't look around and say, you know, it's probably pretty unlikely that all this created itself. It's probably pretty unlikely that all of us came from a monkey. Not only us, but our cocker spaniel also came from everything. You know, I don't know, but uh, it all came from the same primordial uh, ooze, right? It's, it's probably pretty unlikely uh, that the complexity of the eyeball uh, just happened. I always have fun, you know, I, I wonder, you know, if people that believe this stuff, uh, you ever watch those shows on the Discovery Channel, they, they, uh, or Nat Geo, or one of these... You know, these, these brilliant guys really mystify me when they'll say things like, and so, you know, over time, the animal grew these things so it could better compete against other animals. I'm like, really? Why didn't the zebra just grow wings, you know? It'd be a lot easier to get away from the lion, I would think, right? Uh, you know, why doesn't the zebra grow talons so it could fight back or, you know, something like that? You know, it's just nonsensical, isn't it? I mean, they just kind of knew what they needed. Uh, they decided that they would rather run approximately one mile per hour faster than the other animal and make sure they never take a wrong turn. You know, it just if, if it's evolutionary, and you just kind of pick it. But this is the kind of things that you know, they're just unwilling to look at what God clearly presents to them. People refuse to submit to God. Uh, they refuse, according to uh, verse 21 here, They refuse to glorify him. They won't glorify him. They won't submit to him. They won't recognize him as God. And willingly, although they're unwilling to submit and glorify the Lord, they are willing to accept a lie. Very willing to accept a lie. 
and, and this is manifest in so many different ways. I mean, people will believe what makes them feel good about what they want to do, right? People do it with their everyday lifestyle, with their health. People do it every day with their bank account. You, you might have been told, well, if you would save money, you wouldn't be in debt. Ah, that's okay. I'd rather spend. Okay? Willingly believe a lie, right? So all things, this comes down to an unwilling heart. Let's look at what becomes, uh, what takes place after this unwillingness. Well, we see in verse 21, nor were they thankful. Unthankfulness, ingratitude, and complaining, they go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, uh, rather than being thankful, think about where they were at. Adam and Eve, rather than being thankful for all the beauty, think of the prettiest, you know, kind of tropical waterfall you've seen with crystal clear see-through water, knowing that where they were at, they didn't have to worry about piranha or anything like that. You know, it's just a gorgeous, beautiful place. But you think of all the beauty and all the purity and all the peace and the perfection. Can you imagine that place? What they had. They never had to prepare meals. Everything everything was given. God just put it all out there. Total enjoyment. They had been given all this from God, and yet they wanted something else. By the way, you and I wouldn't have been any different, Bob. (laughs) You agree with that? We would, have been the, we would have done the same thing they did. But yet, they believed, what they came to believe, was that God was holding out on them. In this perfect, beautiful place, God was holding out on them. And that rather than praising Him and, and thanking Him, and I'm sure they did some of that, but at some point, things changed, right? Rather than thanking Him, rather than praising Him, and trusting Him, with what they had already received, they became unthankful and were willing to listen to someone pitching, yeah, he is holding out on you. You could do better than this. You can do a lot better than this. And then becomes the ingratitude. And of course, unthankfulness and unbelief go hand in hand, Right? Sometimes it's kind of a chicken-egg thing. Did, were, were they non-believing first? Were they unthankful first? It's kind of hard. But either way, they were unthankful. But refusing to be thankful has never stopped since then, has it? Ever. Refusing to be, refusing to be thankful hasn't stopped. And it's interesting the impact that ingratitude has on subsequent acts of rebellion and sin. Now, Paul, by just establishing that, uh, that man refused to be thankful in verse 21, it's axiomatic that everything, all the other wickedness that comes after this, grows out of original, the unbelief, the stubborn unwillingness, and now this unthankfulness. They all go hand in hand. This completely Ingratitude, uh, complete ingratitude towards God. But we see the, the, uh, the impact and, and kind of the fallout from an unthankful heart and ingratitude. See, the unthankful heart, it covets first. It sees something it wants. 
Remember when David did this? Wasn't thankful for what he, you know, he already had wives, not wife, plural. <laughs> he had wives, not a wife. That was part of his problem. If you're not going to be thankful, because it was never intended that we have more than one woman for one man and one man for one woman, but as soon as you weren't thankful, uh, in, in a lot, uh, we, that's a whole other study. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. But the, the bottom line is that was part of his problem, even though he had a heart after God. But when the heart begins to covet, then it schemes, starts to think of, I'm not thankful for what I have. This is what God gave me. That's boring, not interested, not good enough. The heart sees something else at once. Instead of being thankful, it begins to covet. Then it begins to scheme. Finally, it steals. Killing, if necessary. Of course, David actually did that as well. Killing, if necessary, to satisfy the ungrateful condition. And with each step... Rejecting God more and violating his law even more. So what starts out with just unthankfulness becomes a multitude of sins. You can see you can actually go down the line and you have all these other things, covetousness, stealing, scheming, even killing. Thankfulness, though, ultimately leads us to God. We're to be thankful in our prayer life. We're to be thankful in worshiping. We're to be thankful in just how we walk through the day. Thankfulness keeps us near the Lord. It's not the only characteristics of, of a godly person, but it is certainly one of the key characteristics of a godly person. It's, it, it comes out of when the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to have thankfulness. You're going to have gratitude for all that God has given you. You get to the point where you grow, and you know the, the, the epistles, they start to write about being able to be thankful in the middle of trials. That's not natural, by the way, is it? That, that, that comes with, with the Holy Spirit transforming us, and, and Jesus was able to rejoice in the middle of trials, and we become like Christ. But thankfulness leads us to God, and it leads us to humbling ourselves. Whenever you start to, you and I have all had times where we're not thankful. You catch yourself complaining. Hopefully you do, because the Holy Spirit's there to help catch you. Uh, catch yourself complaining, being unthankful. As soon as you start to uh, just start thanking God for all kinds of things, the list, you forget how long it is that you could be thankful for. And those things, they just bring a humbling effect to you. They, they start to have you realize, who am I that I wouldn't be thankful to God? President Lincoln before calling a national day of fasting, he, went on, he, he said, this is what he had to say, he said, speaking of our own nation, we have been the recipients of the choicest blessings of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But listen to what he says next but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts, think of Romans 1 there, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue 
of our own. When he called the nation to humble itself in fasting, do you notice what he pointed out? Unthankfulness. He says, look, we've been given all of this by God, and we're not thankful for it. We think that we have produced it. We think that we made ourselves the breadbasket of the world. Now, he said this, you know, well over 120 years ago. A long time ago. Uh, I would say that without question, today, we have even more blessings. We have multiplied blessings today than, than our ancestor did then. And we also have multiplied ingratitude It's even worse now than it was then. And it certainly existed then, the blessings and the unthankfulness, but it's even more today. Uh, It continues to multiply. Uh, If you were here in our Exodus study, uh, I pointed out Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, called the amazing chapter of Deuteronomy 28. They also called the blessings and cursings chapter. Remember, you've got the first 14 verses are blessings, the next 50... I can remember correctly, 54, uh, 50-some verses are all cursings. And what they are, they're not just cursings, they're God saying these are the judgments that will come if you refuse to submit, if you refuse to be thankful, if you refuse to glorify me. Just Paul points all this out in Romans 1. But Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48, listen to this. It says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, for the abundance of everything, he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. comes down to God saying, all that I've given, if you'll be thankful, you'll actually worship me. You'll acknowledge me. You'll follow after me. If you won't be thankful, it'll just go downhill and further down and further down and further down. Let's look at this next, uh, this next piece of our text, unmindful. They exchange the truth for a lie. Unmindful. What does it mean? Well, according to Dex, uh, Webster's, unmindful means careless, heedless, oblivious, negligent. Thoughtless, unobservant. This is the person that after they just say, nah, nah, I'm not going to follow God. I see all the evidence. I see uh, you know, the proof that we live in a fallen world. I see the, the judgment of the nations. I can study history as well as anybody else. I, I feel convicted at times, but I just kind of brush that aside and, and remember, oh yeah, Darwin said I'm nothing but an animal. Right? So I don't have to worry about that feeling, that thought, that little bit of prick of the conscience. But they become heedless, oblivious to their own condition, thoughtless about the impact of others. Isn't it interesting that all sin never just impacts us? It has such an impact on everybody else around us, doesn't it? Now, You think of the mind. The mind, you know, God wanted us to dwell on his glory, to think about all that 
he has done. And, and when you think about all that he's done, it just causes you to think about him more and to meditate. He wants us to meditate on his word. And instead, if you reject God, what else comes into the mind? If you're not going to think about God, what will you think about? It doesn't stay empty, does it? You've all seen the PSAs. They were big when I was in high school back in the 80s. I think they've kind of faded out. I don't see them anymore. But you remember, those of you who remember this PSA, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. You've seen those public service announcements? A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And we've all said at least once, if you've had children, you've said it many more times than once, have you lost your mind? Right? Everyone said that to somebody. Parents, you can just hit repeat, you know, right? But as it relates to God, people haven't lost their minds. They've freely given the occupation of their minds to something other than God. They haven't lost it. They've tossed it, right? They drown out the thought of God. I, I, this is one of the reasons that people today, Satan, you know, the longer, as, as mankind continues to have more and more advances in technology, uh, you know, I work for a large technology company. And it's amazing now, today, here in 2013, that we have the mechanisms in place with smartphones, computers, satellite radio, nonstop tele... 20, you remember, remember when TV cut off around 1 a.m. and you were left with these bars of different colors on the TV? And when I finally got old enough that I could stay up I remember how bummed I was when that would hit the TV. I was like, oh, gosh, I guess it's over. <laughs> Got to go to bed now. Now, you know, you're, as a teenager, you ain't getting off the couch. You're not getting off the couch until something would force you off the couch or to turn the TV off and actually go to bed. So with, sans someone telling me, hey, you should probably go to bed, that's not the, that's not the teenage mind. So back in the day, the TV station would help you out. You had, you had seen the last Twilight Zone. That usually was the la- one of the last things. It was like about 12.30 or something. And then it went to, you know, just, it was kind of a bummer. You're like, what, man, they couldn't come up with anything? How about a Andy Griffith rerun? Something. But that's where it ended. But not anymore. 24-7. Not just a couple of channels. Hundreds of channels. And if, that, if you don't have that, you've got your satellite radio, your smartphone is with you nonstop. If you can't play Xbox at home, you can still play it on your smartphone and switch it back to your laptop, and ESPN will let you round trip between every device. I'm not making this stuff up. You know it's all true, right? Anything to drown out. Are your iTunes playing nonstop? Anything. And that's where we're at. So everything and any, anything and everything to drown out God, and all of us have to just turn that stuff off. Not to be unmindful of him, but to be consciously, purposely, diligently mindful of him. But people continue to drown out God. Even though, as verse 19 tells us, what may be known of God 
He's shown it to them. He's already shown it to them. Everything clearly seen, understood. That's an that's a action of the mind. It should be understood. It can be understood. Verse 21, verse 28. Even, look at 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Who's right? God says people choose this. Even sadly, some pastors don't believe this verse. Uh, some of the, we got pastors in America that aren't even saved preaching from pulpits, so that's not to be unexpected. There's always been false prophets. There's always been hirelings. There's always been, that's that's nothing new. But God says through the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, this was certainly true of Israel. We don't have enough time. There's so many passages I could read from the Old Testament. But uh, i got to tell you, you when you read uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, particularly Ezekiel, it is unbelievable how many times God re-repeats the breadth of wickedness. Everything from incest to child sacrifice to idolatry to refusing to acknowledge the Sabbath to... uh, Murder, the shedding of innocent blood, bribery, usury, it goes on and on. And these were not people that were born in the jungle that had no idea who Jehovah was. They had a temple, gorgeous temple, sitting right in their land. They had all the feasts, they had all the festivals, they had all the reminders, and they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge But Israel wasn't alone. It was true for all the nations. That's why they're all condemned equally. The knowledge of God, as Paul so clearly proclaims, has been given to every man to receive, to receive, to dwell upon, to respond with humility and obedience and repentance. But if you harden your heart, you'll have your mind filled with something else. By the way, can I go back to unthankful for one quick second? I had an article I want to read. I think you'll, you'll find this interesting. I'll come right back to our unmindful, but I think this is worth, um, I think this is worth reading. I, I came across this study. Uh, it was in, uh, it was done by, um, it was done by an organization, uh, the London School of... The research was led by the London School of Economics. And it says this, it says, would you believe it? This is about unthankfulness. Think about our own country here. Would you believe it? Bangladesh is the happiest nation in the world. The United States, on the other hand, is a sad story. It ranks only 46 in the World Happiness Survey. This was in 2009. I would say that's still relevant for today. Nothing's really changed as far as... Uh, most of our nation. That's why, uh, that's way, I'm sorry, that's way behind India, the fifth happiest place in the world, and others including Ghana, Latvia, Croatia, and Estonia, research led by the London School of Economics professors into the link between personal spending power and the perceived quality of life has conclusively proved that money can buy everything but happiness. The study revealed that people in Bangladesh, one of the poorest countries in the world, derive far more of their happiness from their small incomes 
for example, than the British, 32nd on the list, due from their very relatively large bank balances. In fact, people in most rich countries, including Austria, Netherlands, Switzerland, Canada, Japan, and others, are much more unhappy than their poorer counterparts in countries like the Dominican Republic and Armenia, with one exception, by the way. Most unfortunate, however, are the Russians and people in some of the former Soviet Union. They are neither rich nor happy. <laughs> so that, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, but um, early survey revealed that many Britons thought money could bring happiness. The new study shows that a link still exists in poor countries because of small increases can mean large improvements in lifestyle. However, beyond a certain income level, that direct relationship breaks down, according to the research, Happiness in rich countries is now far more dependent on close personal relationships, um, good health, and job satisfaction. But uh, the, the ending of the article, I, lo- I love that they actually use a term you would actually see in the Bible, uh, unwittingly knowing. It says, they said, not this is an un- unsaved, just university, London School of Economics, says, we are being seduced by an economic juggernaut and our personal needs are not being met. Did you catch that? Seduced by an economic juggernaut, our personal needs not being met. And what happens, again, uh, sorry to bounce back, but I just thought I'd forgotten I wanted to read that. If, if people don't have their needs met in one way, they'll try and find another way to meet it. And the, and the depravity gets worse and worse, because there's all kinds of people who have tried everything, and so once they realize, as the Rolling Stones used to sing, you can't get no satisfaction, you, you, look, you have to look at other things. And this is why in a fluent society, this has always been the case in world history, in a fluent society, whether it's Sodom and Gomorrah, whether it's Babylon, whether it was ancient Israel after the time of Solomon, they were very affluent Money, it became, at the time of Solomon, you know, silver was like dust. You just toss, you'd sweep it out of the house. That wasn't the case. In most of the world history, silver was never tossed aside. Remember, Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. But it became so plentiful that if you look at the most wicked societies as far as just everything breaks down, it's when they're affluent. Sodom, Israel, Egypt. Babylon, Greece, Rome, United States. And now, it's not just us. You look at the countries around the world, essentially there's a whole long list of uh, first world countries that have become affluent. Things begin to break down. And so this unmindful condition, willingly just say, you know, I'm not going to submit to God but what happens to the mind if you won't receive God, if you won't submit to God? A.W. Tozer said, we were, he says, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? He says this, we might predict with certainty the future of that man. If we could see into the mind of a person he says, if the question is asked, what comes into your mind when you think about God, if we could see deep in their mind and know what their real answer is, we could predict with certainty what will happen to that person over time. 
Let's look at the last section this evening. Un, unrestrained. Unthankful is one thing. Unmindful, thoughtless, careless. What's in your mind? Music. What's in your mind? Entertainment. What's in your mind? Pleasure. But what happens when those things no longer satisfy? Right? They're not enough anymore. I need something else. Unrestrained. The absence of God does not result in an absent-minded person or some neutral-minded person, but over time, the mind that refuses and resists God becomes an evil-minded person. Look at all this list. Verse 28, even though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to what? A debased mind. A debased mind. We'll come back to that in just a second. And all the things, to do those things which are not fitting, they weren't the way God created them to be done. All kinds of things. You know, even going back to, uh, even in the earliest times in the ancient civilizations, you know, uh, when they learned to do things like metalwork, God never intended them to learn to turn metal into spears to kill each other or swords to kill each other. That's why later in the perfect state under Jesus, those will be beaten back into plowshares, right? What were swords will go back to everything God created would have the value to minister one to another, not destroy one another which is, if you look at this list, it is nothing but the implosion of mankind. God gives them over to a debasement filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Look at the, look at the uh, just kind of the attack of man on man. Maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit evil-mindedness, whisper. This is all people-against-people stuff. Backbiters, haters of God. Well, if you don't love God, you won't love what's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not going to happen. Violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things. You know, Paul has a very similar list of end-times things when he writes to Timothy, right? In the latter days, men will be, and he has a very similar list to this. But all restraint is lost. In fact, the mind becomes increasingly evil in the imitation of sin, but even the premeditation of sin and the constant production of sin and darkness, it's just, it just produces more. It's exponentially, just like we saw in the Scriptures, when you sow to the wind, if you're here on Sundays, you reap to the whirlwind, all those little winds become a massive Category 5 worth of sin. We sow to righteousness, it becomes great treasure stored up in heaven. But here on earth, we sow to sin, it becomes worse and worse and worse in total darkness. The mind that would have, the mind that would have 
receive cleansing from God, direction from God, wisdom from God, conviction from God, renewal from God, refreshing from God. Now here's only from a fallen and sinful heart and a satanic world. There was a time when Charles Darwin was studying for the ministry and really looking at, but a death, I believe it was the death of one of his daughters, he became very bitter towards God. He ended up crafting one of the biggest whoppers in world history. And the one, I would say his, what he came up with, the theory of evolution, is probably one of, probably the biggest impact on the modern age of any unworldly, satanic thought that has ever come into a mind because it's been perpetrated on young people, universities, entire nation systems are built on the concept that we don't come from God. That is, that is disastrous. Because if we don't come from God, then anything goes, right? I have never seen a wild animal stop and say, is this right or wrong? They don't con- we become, as the Scripture say, brute beast. But God would have, He would have, to the person that becomes reprobate, He would have renewed the mind. As Paul will later talk about in Romans. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, the heart and the mind, without a study on that tonight, you know, this, Jesus told us to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, heart and mind in the same list, and strength. The heart and the mind are really connected, right? If the mind goes, the brain goes dead, just like in the, or the heart and the mind spiritually are equal, they're co-equals just like the heart and the mind are co-equals in our body. If the heart will not, if the heart stops beating and will not ever beat again, the person is dead. If the mind, if the brain isn't working, the person's clinically dead. And matter of fact, the mind or the brain, I'm taking physical versus spiritual. The physical mind and brain and the physical heart are connected. The physical brain tells the heart to keep pumping blood. The heart pumps blood up to the physical brain, and the two feed each other, don't they? Without blood to the brain, the brain is, has no function. Without the brain telling the heart to keep beating, the heart has no function. The, the heart and the mind go together. So if the heart is deceitfully wicked, guess what happens to the mind? Same thing. They go ahead. They're co-equals in the work of the soul. The hardened, and unrepentant, the hardened and unrepentant heart becomes a breeding ground or the gateway to a reprobate and unrestrained mind. Now, we're all, we're all born, what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 79, we're all born sinners, right? We're all born in sin, as David said. I was, I was, I was born in sin, brought forth into the world in sin, but it's deceitfully wicked, and unless we turn it to the Lord... There's no hope. This reprobate condition, this Greek word, um, atakimos, unfit. The reprobate means unfit, unapproved, spurious, reprobate. According to the dictionary, reprobate means a person rejected by God 
beyond all hope for salvation. Reprobate. Just, just becomes antichrist. The spirit of antichrist. Once you become reprobate in the mind. So what happens? What happens when a heart full of wickedness and a mind given over to complete unrestraint? What happens? Anything. And none of it's good, is it? None of it's good. How else can you explain the things that you, that you see that make you downright ill at times? There's no other way to explain it other than a reprobate mind. The, the mind given completely over. Of course, it can be given all the way over to full demonic control as Jesus would cast out demons as well, would he not? Fully given over. Now, just this week, this 15-year-old in New Mexico, you guys see that story? Uh, the pastor used to be at, I believe, Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque. Right? Um, ran, a, ran a program named, uh, called Straight Street. I knew a guy that ran a, a part of that Straight Street program, a friend of mine for years that ran part of that uh, here in Virginia, but, you know, how do you explain a 15-year-old going in at 1 a.m., shooting and killing the mother? This all happened over the weekend. 1 a.m., I think it was Friday night. Uh, actually, it was Saturday, but, you know, Friday, 1 a.m. Saturday morning, goes in, shoots and kills the mother because he was um, annoyed at her. Shoots and kills the mother at 1 in the morning, the two-year-old is awake and gets up and is distraught, shoots and kills the two-year-old. Then shoots and kills, I think it was the sleeping, I, w I may get the name, uh, age wrong, but a five-year-old. Waits till the father gets home from a late-night shift and kills the father too. Then proceeds to text his girlfriend a picture of the killed mother. And then attends church with her before later confessing that he wanted to go to a Walmart and actually kill a bunch of other people and die in a shootout with police, but that part of the plan never came to fruition. How do you explain something like that? The mind is given over, isn't it? Oh, and by the way, he had been contemplating this for weeks. And guess what else he enjoyed doing for hours? Playing violent video games. What happens if the mind is not dwelling on God? What's it replaced with? See, Satan has a lot of time. As much, as much of the mind and the heart as a person will give Satan, he'll, he'll fill it up. He's got all the time in the world. He'll let you think of every evil possible thing you could ever come up with. How do you conceive what they did in India to this girl on a bus ride? How do six men even come up with a thing? I won't recount any of those details. How do you even come up with that stuff? Or young mothers killing their own children. We see a story like that about every month in America. All kinds of bizarre ways. Mankind, it goes on to say, look at verse 30. In this long list of wicked things, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters. Verse 30 tells us another thing, inventors of evil things. Inventors of evil things. Mankind not only follows after evil but even becomes inventors of new evil. There was a first time that murder entered. There was a first time that rape entered. There was a first time 
that, uh, you know, you name the sin. It's the first time for everything. But then man takes the same sins and invents new ways to perpetrate them on a broader scale. We live in the age of uh, proliferation. Things like the Internet today. I mean, we've invented all kinds of new ways to perpetrate sin. I mean, how else do you come up with how you, the reprobate mind? How else do you come up with the ovens and the gas chambers of Nazi Germany? I mean, somebody had to think that up, right? Somebody had to go deep to a place that had ne- I, it had never been done before. Not that people hadn't been burned or poisoned and things like that, but they came up with a mass production, just like a manufacturing. But it would be the opposite. It would be for death. How do, who comes up with, and of course some we know who did, but you know, comes up with how do we take and turn jumbo airplanes into missiles and, and drive them right into the Twin Towers? I mean, in an evil sense, in an evil sense, they even were called masterminds, weren't they? Who masterminded it, right? Because, well, well, I know who masterminded it. It was Satan in the demonic forces. But the mind is given over to actually invent new ways to do evil. A Ponzi scheme that is so elaborate that it wipes out the life savings of hundreds of people. How about this one? Thanks to the mafia, they came up with a city that we now call Sin City. Never existed before. What if we go to the desert and we build a place that will get people completely hooked on winning more money, the love of money, knowing that it's the root of many evils, right? If we come up with a city and we make it really attractive and we build the whole city, the whole city built on the concept of you could, you could get rich while you're here, you can have any kind of alcohol while you're here, any kind of immoral entertainment while you're here, and even to this day, it says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It doesn't stay in Vegas. It'll go to the great white throne, won't it? You could come up with all these things. Man becomes inventors of evil. You see the other list of things, you know, men with men, homosexuality. That's not new. That's actually not new. All we have is new ways to actually you know, involve ourselves as mankind into sexual immorality. But this was common in the Greco-Roman periods. It was common in ancient times, all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember where homosexuality proliferates in world history, always proliferated in affluent societies. We've tried everything else. Why not this? Right? Then it becomes, it becomes normative. Matter of fact, what, what's amazing, you think about the Roman times, when you think about things like homosexuality, it was reserved for the upper crust of society. Did you know that? It was only for the wealthy upper class. It doesn't mean that other people didn't join in, but the, uh, the known kind of uh, the elitist uh, a, a pseudo-caste system, if you will, of Rome was that that was rever- reserved for the upper crust. 
man invents all these things. Today, I mean, I, I remember hearing a year ago for the first time, there's now a website for people to, if they want to have an affair, they can just go shop online for someone else. Unbelievable. People invent all of this kind of evil, and this is not new. It was happening in Paul's day, but it will continue to escalate till the return of Christ. Those deserving, look at verse 32, those deserving of death. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this what? The judgment. God's like, you can ignore all the evidence about me. You can choose to be unthankful. You can choose to adopt and believe a lie. But the end of the line, you're going to meet me face to face. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The depravity of man may think he's getting away with it on this, in this lifetime. I'll close with... Uh, just some reminders to us. You know, Peter wrote in First uh, Peter chapter 4, he wrote, no longer, he's talking about because Christ suffered, starting with verse 1, First uh, Peter chapter 4, therefore since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Did you hear that? We're told to have the mind of Christ. Arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. That's a commitment of the heart. Verse 2. Verse 3. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He just described Las Vegas there, by the way. In regard to these things, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They'll all give an account. I've read this passage to, to unsaved people before. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity, but it, it really... Uh, it really works with people who live this exact lifestyle because not every sinner you meet actually lives this lifestyle. You actually meet intellectuals that say, I'm an atheist, but I don't even drink. I don't do any of that stuff. I just don't believe there's any evidence of God. So there's other verses you can take them to. But back when I was uh, newly saved, all of my friends were into abominable idolatries, uh, parties, drunkenness, all that stuff. So these verses were really appropriate for witnessing to them. But Peter's saying, hey, the Roman culture, this was the Roman culture, right? And Rome got to the place where they would party so hard and eat so much, it would vomit and start all over again, right? It became, the culture was eat, drink, and be merry, kind of the Epicurean, for tomorrow we die. Paul and, and Peter's saying, hey, we spent enough of our past lifetime, Peter being a fisherman, it's probably the way they finish the day or the weekend or whatever, but we spend enough of our, last, our lifetime, we don't do that anymore. I love verse 4, though. In regard to this, they think you're strange that you don't run with them anymore. Right? Maybe that's where old Christian moms get that term, don't run, you know, 
running the streets with the wrong crowd or something like that. And they don't think, they don't, you don't run with them anymore. You don't hang out with them anymore. You don't do those things. I, I remember people thought when I got saved, my unsafe friend thought it was, what are you going to do for fun? What in the world are you going to do for fun? Try it. Well, you want to go to a Bible study? I, I said fun, right? <laughs> that doesn't fit the description. Here we are on a Wednesday night. Isn't it great what God does for us? Doesn't, doesn't reading Romans 1 and, and understanding the grace you've received, because he called us out of darkness. He opened up our eyes. We used to think that stuff, which is so passing, you know? I really think just Satan looks at different people different. Uh, the older you get, the things that you, even unsaved people, finally grow out of partying don't they? They eventually grow out of the fraternity lifestyle. And not, some people never grow out of it. I get that too, right? But most people grow out of it, and Satan will replace it with something else, the pursuit of fame or the pursuit of wealth or the pursuit of, quote-unquote, success, right? Or intellectualism. But whatever it is, Satan's looking to occupy the mind with something that is not God. And those of us who are saved we're not immune. We're not immune to the fact that we too have to continue, as Paul will later write, as we'll get to it, we have to renew the mind daily, don't we? Psalm 119 says, How can a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed to your word? And then in the 97th verse, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. Read the 23rd Psalm today, January 23rd. I read it on Sunday, a couple Sundays ago. But at 23rd Psalm, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. He wants to impart to us his holiness, doesn't he? He wants us not only to be turned from those things, as Peter talks about, that we spent enough of our last time, but he wants to completely conform us to the image of Christ, that we would have what? The mind of Christ. He's already written his law on the tablets of art, so he wants now the change in the heart to actually reflect in the mind. Remember, the two are connected. They're in parallel. He wants a clean, pure heart, a steadfast heart, creating me a clean heart, and he wants the mind to be set on things above, not on things of this earth. Amen? Let's close in prayer.